0: hello friends welcome to episode 1283 of the loft on hawks podcast i am your host brad roland coming to you on a monday evening into tuesday and thank you for joining us as always On the podcast, make us your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, as well as YouTube, and all across the podcast channel of your preference. Today's podcast is myself and Wes Morton of Peachtree Hoops, talking about Summer League, as well as some roster takeaways from the early part of the offseason. Of course, the Hawks might be done at this juncture, but there's still plenty to discuss. And uh, as a reminder, if you're a new listener to the podcast, I don't go away season we're going to be here every single week multiple times between now and training camp in september so stay tuned for all that stuff subscribe to the podcast and after a quick intro you'll come back and you'll hear from myself and wes morton on summer league and more you are locked on hawks your daily atlanta hawks podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day I am joined now by a person who was also in the Las Vegas desert for quite some time and a writer at Tree Hoops, Wes Morton. Hello, sir. How are you?
1: Hey, I'm doing all right. Yeah, it's pretty hot out there in the desert, but <laughs> I have a fun time, you know.
0: Yeah. Um, listen, you were there longer than most people ever should be. Uh, I was there way longer than, than I should be. Every year I do this where I stay like two days too long uh, trying to cover yep. as much of the Hawks as possible. and uh, but I wanted to have you on, knowing that you were out there and you uh, saw everything in person, just like I did. And um, outside of Glenn Willis, our our, our friend and colleague, uh, who is, actually enjoys summer league basketball more than anybody else possibly could, <laughs> uh, how, how was your first experience out there? I know you, we were talking before we started recording. You hadn't you hadn't even been to Vegas, much much less summer league. So, uh, what did you take away from uh, being up, up close and personal? Yeah, it's definitely an
1: experience. I mean, it was it was fun. I mean. obviously it is what it is you're you're watching a lot of you know recent draftees watch a lot of guys fighting for roster spots so the quality of the basketball itself is is definitely uh uh you know kind of comes and goes (laughs) depending on what kind of rosters are out there but i think the fun part about it is obviously a lot of a lot of the fans are neutral if they're watching a game so a player makes a big play like the whole crowd oohs and ahs. they're not this like home and away environment um so everyone's just kind of there to see, you know, all the big, the big players, the the Chet Holmgren's and the Paulos. Um, then you know you kind of have the different venues between Cox Pavilion and Thomas and Mack. So the Hawks, two of the games I saw were in the Cox, so it was kind of like a smaller, you know, more intimate setting. But it's a fun experience. Like you can just kind of like the the whole world, the whole NBA world is is focused all mm-hmm. on Vegas. So. so that was fun about it.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, just for people that have never been, they have. There's the two arenas. One is Thomas and Mac, where UNLV plays. One is Cox Pavilion, which is a much smaller venue. And it's um, I they, they've gotten smarter over the years about what, what games they put in there. They used to just not think about it. And they'd have like some of the best draft picks playing Cox Pavilion. and It would just be a complete madhouse in there. Uh, now the big the big names generally play in the big arena for the most part but and the hawks only played there I think once all week in Thomas and Mac if I'm remembering right um so yeah it was uh, it's interesting kind of walk, walk back and forth and I know we are covering the Hawks for the most part on this podcast but it is quite a basketball uh, convention experience if you want it to be you can walk back and forth you can watch as many games as you want or lo- as little as you want I have friends that cover the league that will kind of admit they only watch like very little basketball even though they're in the arena all day because you can just talk to people all day long if you want
1: to really <laughs> yeah good. yeah i can understand that i mean it you know like i said it really just depends you know what if there's certain players that are out there you're not really caring as much for you know one team versus the other like you know who cares about the the celtics versus the nets or whatever but oh i need to see this one player a lot of hype kind of interested in see how he does and you know maybe some of the other time you kind of tune out and just just talk to your friends and I definitely saw a lot of obviously not people I'd had like relationship with, but people who I knew were in the league, whether they're in front office, a scout, like just to have like everybody walking around. And obviously they talk about how um, you hear reports that, you know, a lot of the the GMs and the front office people are are talking there at, you know, as well as the reporters in the media. So it's kind of, you know, it's different to have everyone in one place where you can just have a chance meeting of, you know, talking you know, basketball, but also the behind the scenes, the business part or the behind the scenes media part. Yeah. So it's, it's just that all one experience more than just the basketball itself.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's definitely uh, it's definitely an experience. That's, that's the best part about it. And you can uh, even outside the arena, you can't walk uh, 100 feet in Vegas without seeing somebody that you recognize kind of. It's like, wait, is that who I think it is? And you kind of have to look double right, the, right. Double, double takes of like, oh, that's a player. I can't remember who that is. And anyway, it's a, it's a wild, wild scene. At any rate, I'm, I'm glad you you got to see it up close and personal, and I definitely wanted to get your thoughts on the Hawks stuff because it was not exactly the most high-profile Hawks run in the world in part because Edgar Griffin never played. Um, I've been talking about him every day for the last you know 10-plus days about him not playing and the updates and all that stuff. Um, I know he wasn't out there, but uh, I'll just ask you this way. Does it concern you at all? Because like based on, based on what I can pass along, no one's really worried about Griffin's foot. Um, internally now obviously it could become a problem long term but what do you do you how much do you care that he didn't play in terms of of, like development wise obviously it would have been fun to actually have him there for interest perspective but uh does it bother you at all like long term that he didn't play in vegas
1: i don't think so i mean you know development wise i'm not you know i'm not a, a player development person necessarily but you know it's just it's five games it's in a modified environment you're you just got drafted and kind of thrown in there with a lot of guys who come from a lot of different backgrounds. So I don't think it's anything that's going to set them back. I think the smart thing the Hawks did was, you know, they said based on the, some of the ports uh, including from you is that a lot of it was just a pain management thing as opposed to like, you know, structural issue with the foot. So it was more just a precaution, holding them out. Um, I don't know if you, if you know have any information about it, if, you, if you practice at all or yeah they that. basically
0: you know they basically what what nate said and then what i, I was told after nate spoke on the broadcast about it one day it was basically like he, he practiced the first day he had a little bit of discomfort in the foot and they basically said you know we're not practicing you or playing you until you don't have discomfort in your foot basically which is a very normal thing to do like unfortunately for us and i think just for pr's sake it would have been a little bit easier if they, if they just said, okay, he's out for summer league. Uh, but they didn't want to do that because he did, he had he had an MRI. It was clean. It showed nothing of concern. So, like, I think there a lot of the fan stuff, I'm sure you saw some of this too in, in your replies, was, like, people mad that he wasn't – it was his day-to-day thing. Like, was well, he going to play or not? I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you. He's not ruled out and he's not playing. And eventually he just missed all five games. So, I, I get why that's frustrating. It was frustrating for me. It would have been easier for my coverage plan had I known – uh, 10 days ago he wasn't gonna play the whole time i would have known that it, would, it would have been a lot, a lot easier for me too but i think they're just being extremely safe and they know i mean just like you just said they know that like the actual impact of him being on the court for for games in summer league is not very it's not very important i understand it's it's the one thing that we can actually see on the outside which i think places additional importance on it and we'll get into that with Sharif cooper in a second i'm sure but i think that big picture if you're in the front office or if you're on the coaching staff, him not playing f- uh, four or five games in Vegas does not actually change anything. As long as the foot's okay, and they keep saying that it is, and I have no reason to doubt that. So as long as the MRI is clean, as I said, like hopefully he's okay for training camp, and we go from there.
1: Right. So you know, that's um, you, there'll be plenty of times this offseason. You know, if, if if it really is a pain management thing, I mean, just based on what it sounded like, you know, they kept, you know, they didn't rule him out for the whole the whole summer, like you said. It, you know, it was always you know, uh, an hour before game. So I'm sure they were testing it out, seeing how he was, kind of decide that, you know, the the pain is is too much or the risk of, you know, re-injuring that foot is too much. Like, I think that's just the, if you're taking a long-term view of A.J. Griffin, like you just drafted a guy mid-first round, four years of of cost control, you don't want to start him out with, you know, an injury that's going to be nagging him, you know, over the course of this year or possibly beyond. So, um i think i think it's like i said it's, it's tough for the public people want to see obviously he's, he, he would have been the you know the number one guy on, on the team but um as far as long-term development i i think it the risk of injury is is more than the benefit he would have gotten from from playing summer league
0: yeah definitely that's definitely the case um we'll we'll get into this uh in a second with regard to sharif cooper because I, I don't want to bring the mood down too too much but i know that's, a, that's <laughs> yeah. the that's number, probably the number one topic but before we get to that a quick word here from our sponsors we'll come back with more on sharif and tyrese martin and everything else from the hawks all season today's show is brought to you by built bar from the folks that invented healthy and tasty comes let's get to your taste buds you've actually probably already tried the amazing coconut brownie chunk built bar but guess what your friends at built have given the brownie chunk the puff treatment as well that's right coconut brownie chunk bar flavor you love and a deliciously chewy marshmallow covered 100% real chocolate it's like a fluffy cloud of coconut brownie goodness stop drooling now and listen they're actually good for you as well they are low calorie they are low sugar high protein and all delicious the pups are only here for a limited time go to built.com right now to make sure you don't miss out they're going fast because They actually taste amazing and all built bar is also made with collagen protein, which your body helps to absorb more, more efficiently, and they provide a ton of health benefits. Eat something that tastes good for you and there actually is good for you in terms of a health perspective. The best part about pups is that they actually taste great. They're also guilt-free and they have all kinds of fantastic flavors across the board at Built Bar, including, of course, this brownie chunk Built Bar flavor. Um, Go to built.com right now to take advantage of all the amazing flavors and offerings they have at Built. And when you get there, use promo code LOCK15, 15% off on your order with Built Bar. One more time, that is built.com, promo code LOCK15, 15% off at built.com. Okay, Wes, um, let us quickly dive into Sharif Cooper, because I think that's the, uh, the looming thing out there. I read the numbers that he produced in Summer League on the show that I did Saturday night, but I'm going to say them again now for anybody that might have missed them. And I don't mean to pile on, but they are pretty ugly. Um, he averaged 4.4 points a game in Summer League across five outings. He averaged uh, about three rebounds. Uh, sorry, less than, less than uh, two rebounds. 4.2 assists, uh, about three turnovers per game. And also shot 19% from the floor and 18% from three. Uh, it, it is a small sample size, but uh, anytime you have numbers that are like that jarring, it is uh, pretty rough. And I know you saw it like I did. He did not play well really for any long stretch of time. I thought he was better, and you can correct me if you think that I was wrong about this. I thought he was better in games three and maybe a part of game four as well. The first couple of games was really rough, and then game five, only played the first half, and was kind of just non-existent in that way. I'll uh, tee you up this way though. Uh, the way that I framed it, and again, I'm not trying to pile along, I like Sharif. But if you did not know that he was supposed to be a prospect and you only saw Summer League, would you have thought he was a prospect? Because my answer to that is no.
1: No, no. I mean, you, you take the name out of it, you take the fact out that he's, you know, from the area, went to yeah. a nearby school, Haver, and like that whole thing. Like, you just think it's, you know, frankly, just one of those guys who it's going to be unlikely for him to be on a, on a roster. Just, just kind of one of those guys fighting for, for position and didn't really showcase himself but yeah all of the the kind of hype around him over the past year is um, kind of unfortunate when when you see his performance this this summer because right? then it's right you have that cycle of hype and then the letdown so um, I mean as far as his play like obviously it was pretty ugly yeah he ran off the, the shooting numbers I, I think some of it was to me most concerning the fact that was most concerning was probably his passivity. Yeah. Um, his, his, the fact that towards the end of last year, he was putting up pretty big numbers in G League with Skyhawks. He was, he went up for some 30 point, 10 assist games. Um, so, especially over the last like 10, 10 games of the season, you know, had, had some accolades by the end of the year, but, you know, he, he, he got off to a little bit of a rough start and then he kind of stopped looking for a shot. He was trying to set up others. didn't really look like he was trying to get past guys on, on his dribble um i have to mention obviously had the finger injury that he'd been dealing with so who knows if that played a part if that played him played a part in him not being confident in his dribble but yeah and just the not him him not being able to find a rhythm being passive trying to set up others and not getting to a shot you know that's you know cooper cooper's way to to the league at his size at the point guard position when you're six foot like you You've got to be able to get to your shot somehow, got to be able to create that separation. And um, kind of looked like he was doing that in the G League last year and under a pretty similar talent, you know, competition around here in the in Summer League. He just, it just, you know, just didn't look good for him. So, I mean, as far as his future with the club, you know, who knows? But um, yeah, I really can't really understate how disappointing his performance was.
0: Yeah. And I, I will say, you know, his G League numbers, and like, I know people are going to roll their eyes at the G League, and I, and I do get that, but honestly, in terms of structure and in terms of, like, more difficult environments to play in, more challenging environments, the G League quality of play during the season is higher than Summer League. Um, yeah. Obviously, the top-end talent is not the same. Like, you don't have your first-round picks on the floor a lot of the time. But for the most part, uh, I would say G League regular season games are more is – a, is a better quality, actually, than Summer League. And Sharif averaged – in 22 games, about 17 points, 7 assists, and shot, like, decent from the floor. 43% from the floor, 36%, 36% from three. Like, his numbers look totally fine in the G League. And, like, I have a hard time believing that he's just a different player now. Like, obviously, you mentioned the thumb. People keep asking me, and I'll address it again here. Like, the thumb, I'm sure, played some part in this. Um, I don't think you could use that as an excuse for him being this bad, is the way that I would say. Like, I do give him a little bit of a pass for that because that's a shooting hand. His dribble, like and at his size, he can't afford to be a little bit less of anything, really. That's one of the limitations that he has. He's got to be himself. But uh, you don't get just 100% pass for that either, though. Like you, you can't just attribute all of it to that. And what you said, the passivity was the, really the, the really the weird thing. And the one game when he wasn't passive, um, I think it was like 415 from the floor. Like it's almost like he decided that game that he was going to just shoot every time. Like he was almost two shot happy in that game to kind of overcompensate for the others. But I mean he didn't he didn't take a shot on in the finale on Saturday until there was like two minutes left in the first half. And it was like, man, he's he's zero for zero. He's just kind of just out there. And it's a weird thing. And I know Ben Exel gave me a couple quotes about like him having pressure on him and all that stuff. I'm like, it I mean, yeah, guys have pressure on them for sure. And I think he probably knew it was a big summer for him, but it just wasn't uh not, not what you want to see. And listen, I've always liked him, but one of the things you cannot do if you're his size is play like that. Like he, he can't be just a guy out there because uh, defensively, he's never going to be very good uh, at his size. So he's got to have a real command of the offense and, like, be really a, be uh, aggressive. And as a playmaker in particular, if he doesn't do that, that's really his only path to being an NBA player is being the high-end creator that he was supposed to be. And he's shown flashes of that. It just wasn't there in summer
1: league. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he had some, like you say, he's had some playmaking moments, game three, yeah. game four, like you say. I think he had, he had, he had nine uh, assists six. in the third game, yeah. But, but he was also turning the ball over a ton. So I mean, his, his, you know, just the turnover ratio is like a little bit over one. So, so even the playmaking was, was still pretty shaky at times. He's making some bad decisions. So, I mean, like I said, you, you really can't blame it all on the thumb. You know, I think, you know, I don't know if there's other things going on or just, you know, like I said, I don't, I didn't expect, obviously after what we saw last year, like you said, I didn't expect him to, but there's gotta be something else between him falling off. You know, he's, First, the same player he was right four, four or five months ago, or whatever. You know, there may be something else going on, but but uh, just a, just a pretty poor performance, and you know, we'll, we'll see what happens from here.
0: Yeah, I don't want to keep going on too much on that, but at least uh, that was the number one topic besides Griffin. Uh, I guess the number two topic is Tyrese Martin, who the Hawks signed to a multi-year deal on Saturday that I broke down the terms of on that podcast. I won't go crazy into that now, but he's going to be on the roster this year, rookie minimum contract, and I think he played pretty well, particularly had some really intriguing like creation flashes getting to the rim. Perimeter shooting was not fantastic for Martin, I think like 20% from three, and uh, that's one of the questions that even Landry Fields kind of acknowledged at the draft and after the draft was like their shooting is something that they're not 100% sure on with him. I think uh, he did shoot well as a senior at UConn, but before that, it was not great. And that's maybe the one question mark, but there was a really a lot to like in terms of the way he was, uh, particularly in attack mode, I thought. What did you make of uh, what you saw from him? And obviously, I think he lived team in minutes as well. He was, out, he was out there quite a bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it was pretty big for him, big summer late, because obviously you're, you're sort of in that in-between area when you're a second-round pick. You know, you don't have a guaranteed contract, so you really do have to showcase yourself. Um, and he was, he was in a rough first game, he, he looked like he was yeah. you know not shooting the ball well, not not fishing at the rim. But after that, you know he was uh, he was able to beat his man. Like you, you could tell, he had a pretty good um, handle for his size. He's able to beat guys, get to the rim, finish, and create for others. And um, yeah, I mean, so this, this is kind of what you want to see out of a guy who was in college for for what four years. Um, so you, you kind of figure they're going to be more advanced than a guy who's nineteen. Um, so he. You know, I think it was it was definitely good, and um, obviously to hear that he got signed to um, a two-year contract. I think he had a partial guarantee in the second year, or maybe maybe completely non guarantee in the second year. Um, I think is that's that's basically what basically all the second rounders are looking for, or something like that, where you can get you can get a full-time um, contract out of it. So, I mean, I don't think this means he's gonna you know crack the rotation from day one with the Hawks, but um, definitely looks like you know when you're picking fifty-first in the draft. Um, just to be able to see a guy really take on and be the number one guy on the Summer League team that, that, that next that next year is, is a good sign.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, you, what, I, what, I, what I would say is don't go crazy. Like, I, I'm not picking on this person. But I, I saw someone on Twitter today say that he was better than Kevin Herter already. And I was like, <laughs> well, I think we've uh, lost the plot. If that's the, like, I, I like Tyrese Martin. I like that draft pick. Right, right. it, it was a solid value. He looked good in Summer League. Uh, I, I think that he is still a late second round pick. And who will be a rookie and you have to keep your um projections in in sort of a reasonable range but um you mentioned the first game i think he was one of nine in that opener and after that he was like 55 percent from the floor like he played, he played a lot better after that first game so that, that's good to see i do think that you know you wish he was like maybe a little bit bigger than he is i don't know what he's actually listed at but i think he's probably like in the six five range like he's not uh, I think he's, yeah, What's it at 6'6". Six, six. I think he's probably like 6'5". He's more like shooting guard size. If he was like a true small forward size, it would be even more interesting. But of course he wouldn't have fallen as far probably if he was true small forward size. So
1: yeah.
0: um, no, I, I like what I saw a lot. I mean, the jump shot may be the swing skill for him. And then defensively, I know our friend Glenn uh, sort of looked at this a lot. He's a rookie on defense. Like I think he played well defensively in college, but you saw him have some like just kind of mental like processing mistakes and some rotation stuff in Summer League, and I'm not the number one expert on that, but I, I do think that my eyes saw the same thing. Like, his physical tools are pretty good defensively. I, I kind of buy the defense, but I think that he's a, he's a rookie in a lot of ways, and he'll have to come a long way on that end of the floor, too. But listen, in terms of, like, grading, or however you want to say that, for Summer League, he has to be uh, a high-end, that's a high-end result so far for what you've seen from from that draft slot, especially when you factor in, like, they pretty much sold that pick to move back and all that stuff. Like, I think if he, if he can be just an NBA player at all, that's a huge success. And people keep keep that in mind as well. Like Scholar Mays was the same draft slot, basically. He was one pick ahead last year. And like I think that they're similar in terms of prospect. Like Mays is just a lot. Mays was pretty old, but so is Martin. They're different players. It's just like you're hoping to get an NBA rotation player, and that ends up being a home run. And uh that and that by the way, that's not as as a rookie, that's like in year two, three, four, you're hoping that for. So like he'll probably play some in, in college park, but uh somebody asked, somebody asked me this somebody asked me this or brought up in today on Slack. I won't mention who that person was. You probably saw it. Um it was like there, there's a path for Martin to be in the rotation at some point this year. And I was like, kind of like, wait, probably not. And then I thought, like, look, I'm not saying this is gonna happen, but stick with me here. If you, okay, <laughs> if if, if, if bogey is out for a bit, which might happen early in the season, we don't know he's gonna be back in time for the season. I, they're hoping he will be, but like. If he for for some reason is not ready or misses some time at some point during the season, and there's a there's a chance that Martin could be ahead of Griffin in a rotation for as a rookie. Martin is four years older than Griffin. Obviously, Griffin's a better prospect. Obviously, that's that's not up for debate. But like in terms of like NBA readiness today, you might be able to argue that Martin would be uh, more playable right now on an NBA court than AJ Griffin. I'm not sure that's the case. We have, we have not seen AJ Griffin against professional basketball players, but like. Given the lack of depth with the Herder trade and all that stuff, it's not the craziest thing in the world. I'm not saying he's going to play because he probably won't. But, like, if Sean D. Brown has a path, which I think he might – like, and this is, by the way, a path with an injury or two. Like, no one's saying he's right. going to play opening night. But, listen, we saw last year – we've seen every year with this Hawks team the last three or four years. There's always a week or two when there are three guys down, four guys down. It's just it's, it's, it's what's going to happen. And, like, yeah, I can see him playing minutes for a couple weeks. Why not?
1: Yeah, I mean – the first thing I'll say is, I mean, I do, I do pretty much agree with everything you said. The first thing I'll say is, if Tyrese Martin is logging heavy minutes in year one, like <laughs> things have gone wrong. Like something. Like a
0: side. Yeah, I agree. Either
1: injuries or something something else has gone wrong. So, but, but I do I do know what you're saying. Um, I think the Hawks are definitely less deep than they've been the past two years, for one. Yeah. So, you know, they got like a solid top seven-ish. And then after that, it's a lot of question marks. Um, so, like you said, a bogey goes down. Someone else goes down. Um, You've know, got a little bit of wing left um, But you know, maybe they see Martin as, as someone who Can maybe feel 10-12 you know, minutes off the bench More than, like you said uh, AJ Griffin who still may have to get up to speed After his injury um, yeah, yeah, I mean I, and Just well, being 18
0: too, let's think about Griffin I'm not, It's not even really about the injury, it's right. the fact that He's 18 years old Like, And I yeah. I love that draft pick I, I don't know how you felt about it, I like that draft pick a lot But like, I would say this no matter what any rookie's gonna be mostly bad in the NBA. That's you that's usually the way it works. And the way that a one and done guy who has had not played a lot of basketball the last three like two or three years, plus he's eighteen, like I'm not saying he's gonna be bad as a rookie. He might he might be good. Maybe he can shoot maybe the shooting just carries him. But like it just shouldn't surprise anyone if Nate McMillan in particular is like, I kinda of trust Tyree Smart more than AJ Griffin. That wouldn't stun me at all. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, uh, I see that. Plus, plus in the first half of an NBA season, you're usually experimenting more. You're, yeah. you're kind of tossing, tossing everything out there, seeing what kind of rotation combinations work out there. So, you know, I, it definitely wouldn't surprise me to see just, just based on his age. I mean, um, you never quite know. Obviously, the, you know, the Hawks for whatever reason the past couple of seasons started slow. Um, injuries played a part in that. So, um, it's definitely possible. I mean, one, th- one thing I will say is. The especially with this Martin deal, uh, they're gonna they're gonna need stuff like this, like as far as winning on the margins with, yep. with their roster construction, Um having gone in on, you know Dejounte Murray. You, you're losing a lot of future picks. You're up against the tax line. Um, kind of makes you makes things real difficult to actually bring in a, you know like a mid level type player. Um, you have some mechanisms, but again with being so near the tax, like it's gonna be difficult to do. So you need to kind of, you know if the Hawks are gonna maybe surprise some people they need to win on the margins with, with some of the minimum guys, um, you know, Martin or, or some of your recent draft picks, your rookie guys. So, I mean, I don't, you know, just with, with this team, obviously trying to to, to do whatever it takes, I guess, to get to the next level, you know, it, 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 it wouldn't surprise me to, to try out a guy like Martin, he, you know, obviously we got some steps before we get there. We got <laughs> Jenny camp preseason. I mean, if he continues to look good in preseason, like, I mean, there around the league. If you look around the league, there's a number of you know low second rounds, undrafted guys who, you know, they find their role, they find their niche, they're good at this one thing. Um, you know, Miami, Miami Heat are great at that. They can find you know random shooters and, you know, they plug them in and they may make some mistakes, especially defensively early in the season. But that'll help them work through the mistakes. So by you get by the time you get later in the season, maybe they're just they're more comfortable and now you're getting you know a lot of production out of a of a you know low second rounder.
0: Yeah. No, I, I agree for sure. I think that he, uh, you know, he doesn't have that number one skill. That's the one thing about Griff, uh, about Martin is that he doesn't have that, like, outlier trait. Like, he's a good finisher, and I think the ball handling is pretty intriguing that we saw. Like, he's, not, he's, not a, he's not a shooter, for instance. He's not this, like, lockdown defender either that can like get you on the floor. It's a lot easier sometimes for a guy, for a specialist to get on the floor in some respects. Like, you find your uh, – that, that's why, by the way, for Griffin, Griffin might be able to play just because of the shooting early on he might he might hurt you some other places but like especially if they don't have bogey for whatever reason Griffin's shooting might just be like they have to have it because they don't have enough shooting on the roster you talked about like their lack of depth now um and they do have like they have eight guys that they trust but the lack of shooting could be potentially problematic and maybe that puts Griffin back in the process all anyway we, we got a long way to go on all this stuff but I think that it's uh it's just interesting to me to keep stuff in perspective I know I'm sort of just trying to fight a losing battle there. Fans are going to fan and I totally get that. And they want to yeah. see their guys. And Horton was good in summer league. I'm not, I'm not piling on at all. I think you, I, I thought he was really encouraging, but, um, just keeping that in in line because by the way i looked it up just now he's already 23 he's actually he's actually wow. four and a half years older than eddie griffin so okay so <laughs> what scholar Mays was last year Mays was like right. famously like before already when he was drafted um martin just turned 23 so he's not like crazy old for a senior but he is uh i i, I will go on the list of players that he's older than that are on the roster right now but there's uh, multiple guys already that you know like i think he's I'm pretty sure he's older than a kongwu he's older than uh guys like that joan johnson etc. so yeah um all right Wes before we get to more uh a couple more things here before we get to that a word from our sponsors on the pod all right Wes I will not keep you too much longer but uh before we get to anything else that's uh with regard to the roster is there anyone that you want to cape for from Summer League I've talked about Shawnee Brown a lot I like Shawnee Brown a lot but there's not there's not that much to talk about necessarily with him Uh, I know there's a Hawks fan groundswell for Tyson Etienne after his breakout game four performance but uh anybody else that strikes you as noteworthy or do you want to move on to do other, other things
1: um noteworthy I mean I don't know I mean like you said you, you mentioned Etienne I mean uh, I just Etienne's a guy who he would really benefit if he were like a couple inches uh, taller he could work off the ball it could actually be a two I think he's 6'2 right now and yeah they, they definitely tried to get him some looks on the ball try to try to run some like point guard sets they, they didn't have Akinjo and and uh, Sharif Cooper was out um so he, he had some intriguing moments but I I just don't see that being a path forward for him. Um, the only other guy I, I thought impressed me, um, which is uh, the Hawks' Twitter favorite, uh, Justin Tillman. Um, he kind of slowed down towards the end of it, but the first first two or three games, you know, he was he was um, doing a really good job as a as a role man. he yeah. um, he get isolated in the post, um, he's got a good good turnaround. Good head, had a little bit of a, a flip shot. Basically, everything he shoots is just like one arm flip. But, you know, he'd have a look. You know, good touch on it. He, 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 score, he was scoring efficiently. He's getting some rebounds. So doing everything like a role man should do. Um, I know the Hawks kind of have, you know, kind of more premium versions of that on the roster as as is. Um, but um, Tillman's kind of a journeyman. He's, he's older, what, 26, 27 at this point. Um, so he, he, he may go back down to, you know, they may, they may try to retain him on the Skyhawks. He was, I believe he was the first team. Yeah. Um, all G League. G League last week, so yep. not that that necessarily means you're you're gonna you know have a shot, but might be a guy they bring in on an exhibition ten deal, a training camp deal. Continue to look at, you know, maybe they need a little bit more front court depth. Um, so um, it's kind of difficult because he's he's undersized for a five, probably can't hold his own as a four, but, but he had some intriguing moments as a, as a role guy.
0: Yeah, and that's honestly there was some i think it was for people that like tillman like maybe vcu fans or whatever like they got a little bit mad at it Man, Nick Van Assel, when i asked him about tillman early in the process and he he just he's kind of just candidly said i wish he was two inches taller and it's like he's not he's not crapping yeah. on tillman. <laughs> it's just the reality like it's tough to be a six eight center and i, and I know a kongwu is kind of the same size but a kongwu is like a genuine freak and that's why it works for him Tillman is not that. And I think that he's, he's a pro. I mean, that's the thing about him. Like everyone likes that guy. He plays really hard. He's already an established quality Jilly player, but like the way that I think of him is that he's basically just a quadruple A guy. And that's, it's unfortunate, but like, he's a really good Jilly player that probably isn't an NBA player unless it's like a fill in spot. Um, but we'll see i mean it wouldn't surprise me like you said um they can give guys those exhibit 10s up to like 50 grand of guaranteed money is like i think the cap uh, where you can also retain their g league rights so he, they can offer him the max um the max allotted um exhibit 10 contract pay him that bring him to training camp and send him back to college park and then he ends up earning like a six billion salary for the year that's not, that's not so bad in terms of what your path could be last year he was on a 10-day contract too during the COVID madness for the hawks made some money there i think long term his best bet to make money is probably to go to Europe, but I don't know if that's what he wants to do. So we'll see. I, I like him, though. I mean, and every, by all accounts, everybody likes the guy in, in the organization, too. Like, he's just, he's a good worker, um, and just, he's a pro. I mean, we saw even with Sharif, like, who we talked about earlier, struggled a lot. When he was playing with Tillman, it was always – that was his best basketball because Tillman knows how to play, screen setting, pick and roll, more more speed, just like a little bit more floor balance and spacing, all that stuff too. So I uh, I like him. It wouldn't blow me away. I, I got a question like almost every day about him on, on that last two-way spot. I think it's still going to be Sharif, to be honest. But uh, they could do worse. Like he's a professional basketball player, no question. Like, yeah. He's, he's Yeah. Good.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, just kind of you know, break glass case of emergency. Like I said, if if they have to call him up for a ten day, like you say, you never know when when the injuries happen. You know, he he's a guy you would already trust because he's kind of he's kind of already been there for for the
0: Hawks. That's an advantage too. And I asked him about that, and he he definitely leaned into it too. He's like, look, I, I already know all the plays. Like he knows all the stuff already, and that it that is very valuable, particularly if you get a COVID situation, if you get a couple injuries, like being able to sign that guy or bring that guy have that guy close by particularly for a coach like, like Nate, Nate really trusts guys who, knows, who know how to play. Um, and that might be useful. I would say if you get a situation where somebody gets banged up along the way and he's close by in college park. So um, yeah, I agree with that. Um, before I get you out of here, uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier with the depth and stuff, but I want to know, cause this has been a topic and I'm trying to save most of this stuff for later on in the summer for obvious reasons, but what do you make of the roster right now? Like how good are they is a question I keep getting all the time. And I'm not, I'm not quite ready to answer it, to be honest with you, but, uh, you know, given that they brought in Murray, that was their big swing move. They did the Kevin Her trade, which I didn't necessarily love, but I do understand it on some level. Like what is your, re- what's your reaction been to what they've done so far? Because it's been, it's uh, been it kind of all happened in like a week. They were still very busy in terms of like, <laughs> compared to your average off season, they, they did a lot of different stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, so coming into the, to the summer, I mean, uh, I kinda had I believe from what the word words I heard from X interviews, the things I was hearing, um, that they wanted to get together in, in two areas. Like they wanted to A have that that upper gear in the postseason, have have a little bit more creation, not be so dependent on Trey Young. And then B, they really wanted to, to upgrade their perimeter defense. And so I think that's that was kind of the focus on on it. And that's that's kinda a lot of rationale for the trades to bring in Murray, to to send out Herter and bring in um, Harkless and, and Justin Holliday. Um, so they definitely accomplished that to some degree. Um, I think the question is kind of how far in the other direction they go. They lost a lot of shooting, creation, especially after bench unit. But um, I, think, I think the goal is obviously to, to kind of try to make themselves more dangerous against great teams as well as more dangerous in the postseason. Um, so you got a guy like, you know, obviously you got uh, Trey and, and DeJounte Murray together. I think that's what they're trying to accomplish um, in the regular season. Like I said, I, you know, I, I think on some level, they're kind of treading water with, with a lot of their, with all their moves as far as, you know, does this take them to be in, you know, have, have a few more wins. Like they, you know, they were in the play in last, last season. They should be maybe a little bit better um, as far as regular season, but I don't really think they did much on that end. I think a lot of it is, you know they, they really want to get beyond just a first round exit, and obviously they weren't very competitive in the last last heat series. So, trying to get that number two guy, um, they accomplished that. Uh, I think it's a little it's gonna be a little tough again, just where they are at financially. They handed out a lot of kind of mid level deals, which which were good on the market. When you talk about extending Capella, you talk about John Collins is um, not quite max extension. Um, Herder had a good deal. He had a lot of these, you know, fifteen million to $25 million a year guys. You know, that, that kind of added up for them, and that's that's what put them on this big tax burden. Um, so they, you know, with, with all the maneuvering, you know, like I said, the, the end result is, yeah, I think they did increase – I think they did upgrade their perimeter defense. Um, they got Trey, the number two guy he was looking for. But is that quite good enough? Do have enough pieces to, to really make a run as a contender? Uh, as, as of right now, I don't think so. Um, I think their depth is, like like we've mentioned, is just shallower. So if they have some injuries, you know, it it, it, it might start to look pretty rough when, when they start to throw out those bench units. Even if you stagger Trey and DeJounte, like, you know, those guys can only do so much. Um, so I, I think they're just, at this point, they're kind of walking a fine line with the lack of depth. They're really banking on some of the young guys really stepping up um deandre hunter jalen johnson akongu taking a step forward like some of those guys really step up um you know have some breakout years then then it starts to look better but um that's that's probably their only avenue upwards for this season is just having a having some some breakout seasons occur and then also staying healthy as well
0: yeah i mean i think that um as we discussed earlier their their depth is uh hit and miss obviously having arguably the deepest center group in the league still I uh, people got kind of recoil when I say that but I mean I'm not saying it's the best because obviously Jokic and Embiid be- follow followed by anybody on earth probably is still better what the Hawks have but like the Hawks have you could argue the best 48 minutes of center in the league if they have Capella and Oconwu both healthy and you throw in Collins to play whatever whatever five minutes a game at center if you want to like they're loaded there um and obviously with Murray if you want to count him a point guard they're also kind of loaded there but They have some other depth concerns for sure so health is going to be important and i know you know this too but like it's like very mainstream now to say this but i think DeAndre hunter is like one of the more obvious x-factor guys in the entire league this year like if he's good their ceiling raises so much and if he's not it's hard to see them being that good you know what i mean like it's all it's like it's not all tied to deandre hunter by any means but If he's the guy he was last year like their ceiling is just not that high because he's the only guy on the roster that does does what he does as that big physical two-way wing and like i like justin holiday but justin holiday is much more of a two three um a little bit smaller a little bit more frail he's a pretty good defender but he's a he's a pure 3d role player and that's not what the 100 is right now so i don't know i'm i'm intrigued by it all to be honest but and like the standing stuff is i mean i already saw i I won't say where because i'm not allowed to but i won't say uh I saw I saw some over-unders already coming out. We're in that time of the year where, like, projections are occurring. And it will not stun me to see anyone pick the Hawks, like, anywhere from, like, 5 to 9 or 10 coming into the season in the East. Like, I can't imagine anyone picking them outside of Hawks fans ahead of teams like Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, probably Miami. Like, those four teams from last year, I can't see the Hawks being picked ahead of those teams. Can they beat those teams? Maybe. Sure, I'm not saying that they can't, but being picked ahead of them and then, like, if Brooklyn still has KD or something, like, Brooklyn's the giant wild card, I have no idea. But, like, they're probably in a similar range to teams like Toronto and um, maybe Brooklyn, maybe Cleveland, maybe Chicago, et cetera. Like, that's the kind of group that they're probably going to be grouped in with right now. And that's appropriate unless they show that they're better than that. I think this roster is better than it was, but better in a way that also could go south if they get one injury at, at a bad time or um, some things go wrong. So, like – it's kind of fascinating like they definitely are not like a contender right now which is unfortunate for us talking about them and covering them every day but i mean i i know the hawks fans want that to be the case with murray and murray's really good but he doesn't single-handedly make them as good as the bucks or yeah
1: so. yeah i mean i think i think part of acquiring murray obviously that that's that's a long-term thing like you're, you're trying to pair him with trey young long term so it's not sure. like a one year deal where they're, they're trying to go in and win, win a championship right now um you know if they yeah. I thought you know that move was going to do it you know I think they're you know some sometimes expectations feel a little bit
0: it's kind of one those moves that's like, it's like it's a short-term move and a long-term move like yeah, yeah. you know as well as I do with the stuff that we've heard and talked about offline like they definitely have pressure from up top to win now and that was part of doing the Murray deal but I agree with you like that's not a move that you do on its own and the other move, because the, the other big move they did was Herder, was a herd trade, which didn't really make them better. Like you could argue, it didn't kill them necessarily, but that that was not an improving in the short term kind of move. So it's like you do this move, and it's it feels like kind of an all in move, but it's not good enough to make you as good as you want to be right now. So it's like kind of a move that's for a long term, like you said, but also with some short term focus because, I mean, you know, like they don't do that trade unless they think that it's going to help them now too, and it, and it should help them now. But I agree, it's more of a setup move on paper and like what's the next move is still the question that everybody has for me across the league when i see them in in vegas i'm maybe you got this too from from people around that you saw but like it's like all right what do the hawks do now and it's like well they already made this pretty big move for murray like they they traded three picks but like it's a natural question to be like all right what's the third what's the next move because i I don't know the answer to that but it felt like it was going to happen and they just didn't do anything else so it's like here we are
1: right i mean and obviously like you know elephant in the room is the john collins it's kind of been, you know, floated around for, for forever. Still it seems Rossi. like
0: still on the team, John
1: but, Collins. Right. I mean, honestly, at this point, there's there's no John Collins move where you're better tomorrow. Like, yeah, there's just there's just not really a move that's materialized like that. Maybe you can, you know, liquidate and get get young guys and picks or whatever. But then it's then you're kind of questioning, okay, what was the logic behind trading for Dejounte Murray if you're gonna take it so forward and take a step back? So, I mean, I think that, I think right. No, I, I no, think I some that. of it is right. Some of it is you know we just have to kind of wait and see how, how how do young and murray work together like like can that really can first of all can murray kind of replicate his his all-star campaign from last year i think there's some question that maybe that's his peak like maybe he'll take a small step back when he's outside of san antonio and you know things can't can't be run for him the same way you know we just we just kind of wait and see i mean if you are asking what the next step is i think in an ideal world is somehow somehow um find a, a number three guy but that's that would mostly involve that would most most likely involve you know acquiring a star big man and I know they had' ov- obviously try to weasel their ways into you know DeAndre Hayden talks and all that and you know if you do that then then you know you're obviously gonna have to ship off you know a guy like Capella and John Collins and Papua Kongwu to, to try to find like a guy you think okay if I have, young murray and this star big man maybe that's maybe that's a championship contender right there but you know those moves that you know takes two to tango like those moves just aren't out there all the time like you can't just find a star big man he's on the market all the time so at the moment i think you're just you're just kind of waiting and seeing like how does this team look how do they look at the trade deadline you know reassess your options um how they look at the end of the season you know uh, I think I think one one thing I'm looking at going forward is there's kind of a ticking time bomb as far as uh, Dejounte Murray's contract because you know he's making about 17 17 and a half million this year next year but after that point most likely if he continues to play like this like he's gonna command a max deal or something yeah. very very close to that so you know if you're thinking Trey Young's on a max deal Dejounte Murray's on a max deal like that's two thirds of your cap right there so there's kind of a, all your maneuverability is going to happen within this year, next year to kind of get that, um, get that structure settled and then figure out the kind of financials at that point.
0: Yeah. I mean, and the, the other side of that with Murray and, you know, I like Murray a lot, but the, the, the other side of that is if he doesn't stay, you, you just made this trade of a lot of, a lot of capital for a guy who leaves in two years. And um, because of the extension stuff that I know you know about, but for, Hawks fans like they can't pay him enough legally under the salary cap right now to get him to sign an extension like he he just can't it's not his fault either I mean the Hawks can't offer as much as they as they as he would take and he, he shouldn't take what they what they can offer him so like they're kind of hands tied on that and I think that there is always some level of risk for anybody that's going to be um a UFA like he, he's gonna hit the market in two years no matter what happens he's gonna hit the market almost certainly so it's like that's the other downside. like what he leaves uh, yeah We'll that's a disaster i mean
1: like you just traded two unprotected firsts after like after his uh, the that's over.
0: no it's so i'm, I'm not trying to do anybody but it, it really is a pivotal time and then you can we could probably spend 30 minutes on the center situation too because at some point they're gonna have to move on from capella or kongwu because it just doesn't make sense to keep having a kongwu be a backup center but that's where he is right now so uh there's some real, it's the same stuff we've been talking about for a year plus in a lot of ways, but that and Collins is the perpetual trade candidate. So it's like, it's the same storylines a lot of the way, but now with a guy. And I'll say this like, Murray is their best player they've had in the Trey Young era, besides Trey. So, like, that, that's a good thing. You, you've added a guy who I think fits with him pretty well. It's not like 100% perfect, but it does make some sense. I'll both to the floor, and uh, they've acquired a talented guy, and they didn't have to trade anything present, present value that was nearly as much like going from Gallo to Murray talent wise is a giant upgrade. It's just that you've sort of maybe downgraded with the herder trade and also traded a bunch of your picks away. So it's like, they're kind of shuffling the deck chairs a little bit and uh, we'll see how good they are. Cause I, I'm ready to see them play now. I mean, we, we, we still have to wait for three months. Like train camp's right. going to open in like, I don't know, like 10 weeks, something like that. That's a long time. Wes. was long time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, like I said, I think it, there's going to be some acclimation period um, as far as young DeJounte and, I think the the other bigger thing is how much should they stagger like you got to have one of those guys on the court for 48 minutes like just the way that the roster is like you gotta gotta do it
0: i totally agree and like they also don't i mean i I like aaron holiday but aaron holiday is more of like an off-ball lead guard Like he's not really a guy who's gonna run your offense a lot and uh, Herder was their best secondary creator on the roster he's no longer there so like they if there was ever a time that they were going to stagger they, they got to do it now like they have to that's going to drive us all crazy if nate on opening night does not stagger them i'm going to lose my mind so, <laughs> i'll be right ready. there with you we'll, we'll be yeah. the same
1: same same place there
0: <laughs> absolutely um but yeah i will uh, i'll probably beg you to come on again um, at some point in the next aforementioned 10 weeks, because there's a lot of uh, content to uh, sift through in the near future. But I appreciate you coming on, spending some of your recovery period post-Vegas with me uh, on this. Uh, we're actually recording on Sunday. I think it's going to go up on either Monday or Tuesday. But here we are. Wes, thank you for joining me. Please plug anything going on. Have you been writing anything at Peachtree Hoops? Did you? Uh, did Zach make you chronicle your journey through Vegas? Or what's going on?
1: Um, no, all I did recently, uh, I tweeted the first three games from the Peachtree Hoops account. Um, I'll probably go. be doing that going forward. Um, but uh, other than that, obviously, I'll, I'll try to get some some things written um, over at Peachtree Hoops, previewing the season. You know, we're, once we get into it, obviously, this is a little bit of a down period. I'll, um, hopefully, we'll have some, you know, maybe analysis of, of what can what we can look forward towards the next season. But yeah, continue to read PeachtreeHoops.com. Um, follow me at BlogHawk. It's the off season, but I'm still I'm still be tweeting random random Hawks figures and notes and things. So, so please follow me there.
0: And uh, yeah, for people that don't know Wes's work, Wes has been uh, around at least kind of around the Hawks blogging game for quite some time. One of the one of the one of the one of the, one of the longer tenured people now, other than I guess me and maybe Kevin. Uh, but thank you for joining me. My, my Thanks. Friend. Yeah. OG well, of the uh,
1: game, I guess.
0: OG of the game, indeed. Uh, but yeah, sir, sincerely follow Wes's work. Follow Tree Hoops, where I used to be the editor and still am a reader, ferociously, and uh, I'm also still on the Slack channel, talking trash to all of them on a daily basis. <laughs> But uh, thank you, Wes, for being here. And uh, as for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast, follow the show on Twitter, et cetera. And we'll see you all next time.